0: Thanks for that. Good morning. How are we all? Good morning. Good to see you as well. Hello, everyone online. Hi, kids. Daddy's on TV again. It's all great. If you're watching, just in case, Rachel. Very good. Well, thank you very much for having me again. Um, It's always an honor to preach anywhere, but particularly here at my home church, it's wonderful. Um, We're talking this term about this new kingdom, which is really a huge topic when you think about it. I mean, you could put a decade to this and you really wouldn't get to the bottom. In fact, we've sort of spent thousands of years putting a Bible together to try to explain it and still haven't quite figured it out. Um, It's it's just massive. Uh, So I want to attempt, if I can, to uh, try to explain it in some sort of terms that might be helpful and maybe draw some implications out of it. So we'll do the whole story of the Bible um, in the short time we have together before, between now and when Jesus comes back and uh, and just see where we end up. No, we will go home today, that's a promise, because the Panthers are playing at two, so I need to be at least then go home by two o'clock to see that. Um, Jesus said this, he said, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's a pretty big prayer, and I just wonder if you, have you ever thought about what that would look like if you got it. Like, if, you know, you pray and you expect something to happen. You you want to see some sort of result through your prayer. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you got that, would you even know you had it? Like, what would you be looking for? I've been around church now for a bit over 20 years, and I've heard different emphases on this is the kingdom of God. This is what we're really living for and striving for and all of this. And you know, different sort of things. An obvious one would be prosperity. And a sign that the kingdom of God is in your life and you're blessed is that you're financially prosperous. And maybe there's some truth in that, perhaps. But, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to get rich, You know, hard work and financial discipline will get you there as well. You know, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily the sign that you're in the kingdom of God because there's plenty of Christians who live in poverty and can't get out of that poverty because of the economic systems that they live in. So I don't know if that's an accurate answer, but maybe health, good health. That's good. I mean, God is a healer. God wants to restore and can restore our physical bodies and so perhaps that's something but again going to the gym eating well discipline will get you there as well there's plenty of non-christians who are exceptionally healthy people because of the work they put into that end maybe it's healing And we've seen plenty of stories of healing. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. It's quite obvious that God has done a miraculous healing in your life. And so there's certainly, that would be a sign that the kingdom has come. But you still die. I I know that's a a tragic, shocking, but every single Christian who's ever lived has died or will die, including us. That will happen. We live in a time where it takes us longer to get there. You know, for most of human history up until maybe a few decades ago, you know, 40 or 50 is about what you can expect. Now, 80 or 90 is about normal. That, that's, thanks to science and thanks to modern medicine, we, we live longer, but we still die eventually. So it's got to be bigger than that. Because so much of these things that we've attributed to the kingdom of God, you can kind of get there without the kingdom of God. It's not to take God out of it, but, you know, non-Christians shared that same experience. So what is the kingdom then? What does that mean? God breaking his kingdom into this world and we, we living in that kingdom. What, what is that? What would that look like? Well, um, I'm going to use some diagrams this morning. I don't usually use diagrams because I'm useless at drawing them. Um, but I'm going to do some diagrams today. So if you can bring up my first picture, it's pretty good, isn't it? There's two lines. The top line is God and the bottom line is us. And the arrow between us is our relationship with God. Pretty good, right? Like that. I thought that was quite genius. But anyway, all right. So there's us with God. I know you're thinking, I can just see myself in that arrow. That's so personal. Um, God originally made us as humans humans. for relationship. And we know that. That goes obviously right back to Genesis. Now, whatever form Adam was, he was created to live in eternal relationship with God. In whatever state he was in, that was the intent, that was the original design, that was the original state in which he would live with God for all of eternity. And so God created this race of humans out of the dust, and we were made of the stuff of the earth, but in a way that was not gonna perish. Again, whatever that is, we don't know. We weren't there, it's almost a moot point, because it doesn't exist like that anymore, but that was the original intention. What's really important to note is that whatever this Adam was, he was a physical being like we are. We are in the image of Adam but was also a spiritual being as well. But we can't separate the two. There's no separate spirit and body that when the body dies, the spirit can live by itself. It's not possible. It doesn't work that way. That whole idea is what we call Platonism, because a guy by the name of Plato came up with that idea. And Paul came along and said, no, Plato's wrong. We were created to be whole beings, fully human." physical, spiritual, mental, all of that is all together as one. But then something happened. Uh, if you want to jump to my next slide, where I add a line, there we go. I know, right, it's getting deep, it's getting deep. We thought, no, nah, we can do it better. We don't need God, we can, we can do this ourselves. We can be God. And it's sort of Presented in this idea of these two trees, the tree of life and eternity, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, in other words, we can know what is in, meant for us and we can live in a relationship with God through constant revelation, as in God revealing himself to us through a relationship, or we can just do it out of our own knowledge. I know what's good and I know what's wrong, and so as long as I don't do what's wrong in my own strength and do what's good in my own strength, I can do it myself. I can be God. God says, well, it doesn't work that way. You can't do it without me. That's the whole point. You can't be eternally sustained without being in me. But if you wanna do it yourself, that's fine, but you'll have to do it by yourself. You won't have me anymore to help. And so they made that decision, and here we find ourselves now. And so from that moment forward, we were in this continual state of separation from God, trying to figure it out for ourselves, trying to be God to ourselves. But that obviously doesn't work because we're not God and we don't know how to do this without him, certainly not how to do it properly. But something happened as well at that moment is that when we sinned, Paul says, death entered the world. In other words, if we were no longer in God, then we could no longer sustain this eternal state that we were created to be in, and so therefore we put a time limit on our lives. We were going to die. We were cut off from the life source, and so without that, we're just going to run out of fuel. We're going to die. So if you're going to jump to my next slide, what that means is that... If we were born out of the stuff of the earth, then we must inevitably return to that state in the earth. That's the only thing, the, the only option we have. There's no other, it's inevitable. There's no other way out of that. We are from the earth, to the earth we shall return. And in the meantime, live whatever life we have apart from God. Now, none of, none of this is good. This is born, into, born separated from God, live separated from God, and then die separated from God. The problem is after you're dead, you can't do anything about it. You're stuck. That's it. That is now your eternity. Now that's a problem because that's not the ideal. That's not what God intended for us. He intended us to be in relationship with him, to be fully sustained and to experience the fullness of his love. But if we're separated from him and are dead apart from him, none of that is possible. And once you're dead, that's it. Eternal separation from God and everything that implies. So none of this is ideal. But we can't do anything about it. We can't fix this problem because we are the problem. You can't fix it from inside. We're completely cut off and that's it. That's all we can do about it. So the only solution we have is God himself has to intervene into the problem. So if we jump to my next slide, we add a line. There we go. So God had to step into the story to create a way for us to be brought out of this eternal state. Now here's where it gets really confusing and complicated because of course we're talking about Jesus, but what we say about Jesus is that he's 100% God and he's 100% a man. And if that sounds confusing, you're in good company because for 2,000 years, theologians still can't work out how this works. The only person who can work out how it works is God because he's the one that did it, and he's God, and he can think bigger than we can. But the thing about God is that he doesn't come from the earth. He comes from heaven. He comes from a different realm, whatever that is. But for a time, he took the form of a body. He took an earthly form in order to be able to dwell amongst us. God had always been there. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. God was always there, but couldn't see him. He was trying to reveal himself through prophets, but they just, no one was listening. They just killed the prophets instead because it was just too, all too complicated. We needed stones that we can worship because at least we can touch a stone. You can't touch an invisible God. That's too hard. We need something we can control. So God said, all right, you want something you can touch. You want something you can experience. Well, then I'm just going to have to intervene into your situation for you. And so he took an earthly form in the same form that we have, in that it was a form that could die. That was the key thing that he had in common with us. And so in that way, he was a fully a man, but at the same time, he was still fully God. And where he originated from is his original state. Paul tries to explain it. He says, Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God anything to be grasped, but rather humbled himself to take on the form of a servant and then died the worst possible death. But because of that, God then exalted him. We go... <laughs> Paul's like, I tried to make a song out of it for you and you still couldn't get it because I don't get it. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. But here we are. But he took this earthly form, then he died. He died. But the difference between Jesus and everybody else is that Jesus didn't originate from this stuff. He went into death, but he wasn't from that place. And so the thing that makes Jesus different from everybody else is that Jesus was the first person who didn't go back to the dust. Death couldn't hold him down. Jesus was the first human to break through the power of death. Death is more powerful than everything else on this planet, including you and me. We cannot overcome its power. It is the power of sin. It's the power of entropy that is ultimately just decay in this world. We cannot overcome that. It will have its way. So anything from this existence will only go back to that place. So something that intervenes has to come from somewhere else. Only God can do that. And so he was resurrected, but resurrected into a different form. But here's the the important thing to remember. He was resurrected into a physical form. This same resurrected Jesus sat on a beach and said to his disciples, give me some of that fish, because I'm hungry. Being dead is kind of makes you hungry. You know, you haven't eaten for three days. You kind of work up an appetite. Could I have some of that fish? He had a physical form. He said to Thomas, Come and touch the scars. You can you can see them. I'm right here. I'm real. I'm not some ghost. There's no separation of the ghost from the physical. It was a physical body that came out of that cave. Paul talks about that as being the new Adam. This first Adam blew it. The one that we are in the form of blew it completely. We go the way of Adam. Jesus became a new Adam. He was resurrected into a different form. But him being the first Adam, the first of us, we in him now will share that form. Bring me to my last slide. What that means is, if we are in him, then we will share the same resurrection. Resurrection. He will come back and bring about this resurrection of the dead, and we will participate in that resurrection. But only he can do that. However, it only applies for those that are in him. That's not, oh I turn up to church every now and again and so therefore I'm a Christian. That doesn't count. Sorry to say it, it doesn't count. It doesn't add up to anything at all. That's not, oh, I said a prayer once, and I think I gave my life to Christ, but it didn't really do anything. No, that's not in Christ. In Christ is you are fully in him, and he is fully in you. Everything about you has been transformed into his image by his power through his spirit. That's in Christ. The old person is dead. Behold, the new has come. Christ is being made new in your life, and you are being ultimately killed off because you are sinful, because you were dying anyway. And so this is the state we find ourselves in. In Christ, anticipating that resurrection, but in the meantime, being renewed and transformed into that image of that Savior who came, who lived, who died, but was risen again. So what does that mean for us now? Well, I've got three points. I could give you 100 points, but it's a sermon, so it can only be three. Firstly, what that means is we live in an in-between era. Christ came, died, was risen again, and in that moment inaugurated the new kingdom. See, if you think about the Bible, what is the Bible? We we'll say, well, it's a, it's a rule book for life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's some good stuff in there. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. You know, do unto others. That, that's good. Have you read Leviticus lately? It, you could use it as a rule book and spend the rest of your life in jail. So, you, Maybe not. Oh, it's a spiritual guide. It gives me spiritual advice on how to live. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is a good teacher, and he's got a lot of good things to say, and Paul's got some cool stuff to add to that, and the Proverbs are pretty good too. But again, I, I come back to Leviticus. The Bible, as a collection of texts, is the revelation of God's story, the revealing of his kingdom in different times, in different places, and so we live in this in-between time where Christ has come and resurrected and Christ will return to fully bring about the kingdom. But we live in this in-between state. We live in kind of the interim period where Christ is left behind his spirit to start to do the work of bringing about the full change. It's almost like we're going to get to that point, but in the meantime, there's some preparation work that needs to get done. We're kind of in that stage. We talk about this in this sort of this now, not yet language. We're in the kingdom, but we're not fully in the kingdom. What we have at the moment, Paul talks about as being the first fruits. So he says in Corinthians, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So he uses this imagery of a dim mirror. Now, he had a literal thing in mind because 2,000 years ago, when that was written, you didn't have glass mirrors. What you had was bronze. And so you can go to Corinth now and see these mirrors in the museum there. They're just like a a bronze plate. And you'd polish them up really, really, really brightly and shiny, and you can see a reflection of yourself. But you look very jaundiced. That's not to do with your body breaking down. That's to do with the color of the mirror. It gives you an idea of what you look like, but it doesn't give you a clear reflection. Paul says it's kind of like that with the kingdom. What we see now is a taste. What we see now is something in part. The the spirit is the first fruit. It's showing us what the fullness will ultimately look like. We're not there yet, but we can get a sense of where it's going. The fruits of the spirit are the first tastes of what's to come. The problem, of course, is that we live in a sinful, dying world that still interferes with that whole thing and it causes us to see dimly. Paul says it's kind of like this. He says there's these three things that we have now, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's a passage you're all familiar with, but what does he mean by that? Well, right now we have faith because we need faith because we can only experience God through faith. I can't see God, but I experience God through my faith. But when I'm standing face to face with God, I don't need faith anymore. He's right there. You are, wow, you are there. Faith isn't revealing that. My very eyes are showing me that. Right now I have hope. When... My life is going through a tough situation when I'm not even sure that God is there. My hope tells me that better times are coming. My hope tells me that God's got things under control. My hope says to me that there is a kingdom to come and that this life isn't the end of the story. But when I stand before God, I don't need hope anymore because the thing that I was hoping for is right there and I now have him for eternity. But love is a different thing because God is love. And so when I experience his love now, what I taste is only the first fruits of the fullness that is to come. Of these three, faith, hope, and love, the only one that is eternal is love because what we experience in part is what we will have for fullness for eternity. And so, of course, love is the greatest of all three. And so our goal is to cultivate love. Our goal is to cultivate a community that expresses that love of God. Because this is where the first fruits are found. This is where people should come to experience God's presence and God's love and to the promise of there was much more of this to come. But we're not quite there yet. Because there's still sin and there's still death and there's still all the problems we bring as humans. Secondly, what we sow into death, we will reap in eternity. Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but a seed. Perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. We get a little confused with that last bit. We say, oh, there's a natural body, then there's a spiritual body. So when we die, we all become ghosts. That's not what Paul's saying. That's just not... So when he says it's sown a natural body, he says in the Greek it's sown a psuchikos body, a soulish body. When it's raised, it's raised a pneumaticos body, a spiritual body. He's not talking about a physical and a spiritual. He's talking about two different states of existence. This, the, this soulish realm, the, the natural body, is a body that is built of this earth. It's one controlled by the stuff of this earth, the, the human soul. This, this soul that is us. This, this soul that ultimately took us away from God in the first place. That's what drives us. That's what controls this body, ultimately. The spiritual body is one fully controlled by his spirit. He's already talked about this in Corinthians 2. He says, those outside of Christ are soulish. They are psuchikos, but the one that's saved is spiritual, consumed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So what he's talking about is two different states of existence. The body that functions in this existence now is inappropriate for the next world to come. It has to receive a different body, one that will last for eternity. But he makes this really important point. He says, whatever this body is now is not what it will look like when it's to come. But whatever is in this body is like a seed. If you plant an apple seed, you're not going to get an orange tree. That that should be pretty logical, right? But the seed of an apple tree doesn't look like the apple tree. It looks like a seed. But the stuff that's in the seed is what becomes the tree. He says it's the same with us. Whatever we sow into death is like a seed. Good, bad, and otherwise, it's a seed. There won't be a resurrection of something completely apart from whatever we are now. It will just be the immediate logical outcome of whatever it is that we are in this life, good, bad, or otherwise. It's a seed that will be raised into eternity. So the question's really simple what kind of seed are you going to sow? What kind of life are you going to live that we will ultimately sow into death that you will reap into eternity? That's the whole story of eternity. But finally, and here's the really important one, death doesn't get the last word. Yeah. Corinthians 15, 54, it says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The band wanted to come back up. I said a moment ago, there's one thing more powerful than everything else on this earth apart from God, and that's death. Nothing can overcome death apart from God but in Christ, we can overcome death. Paul talks about the hope of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Do you know what the good news of the gospel is? Death has been overcome. Death doesn't get the last word. Back in April, gee, time's gone quick. Uh, A colleague of mine, not that long ago, passed away. She was 59, she was a couple of weeks off her 60th birthday. She came to the college five years ago, joined after Christmas five years ago as our Old Testament professor, and just the most energetic, incredible, loveliest, godliest woman you could possibly ever hope to imagine to meet. Uh, her Her whole pastime was just spent going hiking. I mean, she was just the epitome of health. She was just this incredible, amazing woman, just gifted, sharp, just amazing, amazing to be around. There's not a single person that didn't meet her and you would just, you're, wow. Uh, last January, in the year of COVID, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now the problem with pancreatic cancer is there's no cure for it. They can't, they don't know how to deal with it. Uh, about 5% of people who get it might live for five years. In other words, it's a death sentence and they haven't developed anything to deal with it yet. So here's this grandmother, mother of six and many grandchildren and just a, you know, just kicking off her academic career. You know, she's just, this, her, her career was just getting to this point where she was kind of getting up to this, things were looking really good for her in the years to come. She got knocked down with this cancer. And it just knocked her out, of course. Uh, the thing that made it last year so hard, of course, is because you, know, you couldn't go and see her, and you, there was, we were all separated. It was so hard to sort of keep touch with where, where she was up to, but she spent most of the year in hospital. And all they could really do was kind of experimental treatments. So the first one they tried just did nothing. This cancer just kept growing. So they tried a second one, and uh, that seemed to be working a bit better. It, see, at least stopped the growth of the cancer. But of course, you know, the chemo itself, is so powerful and horrible the way that what it does now the thing about this kingdom of god is that she didn't prosper through it in fact she got poorer because she had to stop working she certainly didn't get healthier in fact her health deteriorated to the point where she just she was almost unrecognizable and at the end of the day she didn't get a healing either They did the treatment, and uh, I rang her up back in, yeah, only well, not that long ago, actually. And she said, yeah, uh, I just heard that it hasn't worked. Cancer's growing. Um, they've given me a couple of weeks. And within about two weeks, she died. Whatever the kingdom of God was, it wasn't health. It wasn't wealth. It wasn't prosperity. It wasn't any of these things. But the kingdom of God was so evident in her life because you could not meet this woman and just not fall in love with the Jesus that she loved. You just couldn't. It was just too evident in her life. Yet she still died a horrible, painful death. But here's the story of the kingdom. We'll get to see her again. She's just asleep for the moment but one day we'll see her again. And from that day forward, we'll spend eternity with her and everyone else that we've lost. That's the story of the kingdom. That is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keep inaugurating this kingdom, Lord. Keep bringing about the change. Keep bringing about the preparation so that when you do eventually come, we'll be ready. And in the meantime, we just wait. In the meantime, we live in faith, we live in hope, knowing what is to come. Father, the prayer this morning is very simple. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And until that great day, we wait, we look to you, and we say, what would you have us do today? What do you need from us to continue to bring about your kingdom in this world around us? Help us by your spirit to do that. In your incredible name, amen.